Well, that was basically my message, so. So, and, but the game doesn't start till 3.30, so I mean, we got time. Thank you uh, to, the, to the worship team. I don't normally get to be the one saying thank you, so that's uh, nice, it's awesome. And uh, if you're in youth, you can head off to Unsinkable with, uh, with Chris there. Off they go into the mysterious corner of the church. So, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Um, let's see if this is, uh, are we ready to go, Heather? Can I try this out here? Next one. Where, look at, oh, went too far. There we go. I'll get it. I'll get it. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so almost exactly a year ago, I spoke on worship, and uh, Phil and I thought that it would be good to, uh, to speak again on it, because uh, it's something that we do quite a bit of, but there's also, there can be a bit of uh, sort of misunderstanding of what it all means. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but our hope is that we, we want to create a unified understanding of worship and a unified purpose in why we sing praise and worship on Sunday mornings the way we do. Plus, one of my points uh, last year was that we retain way more information when we sing than when someone preaches. So you probably don't remember what I spoke on anyways. Um, that's a joke. Um, but uh, if you remember, I made the joke that uh, wives should start singing their to-do list to their husbands, and then they would begin to remember them a little bit more, because all of a sudden that melody would stick in their mind, and, it would, and they would remember what to do. Um, so I'm going to talk about some of the same things today, but in a few different ways. And, uh, you know, my prayer is that it's, it, the Holy Spirit makes it fresh for you, and it's impactful for you today. Um, so I believe that Scripture gives us uh, a picture of God's desire and design for worship. Uh, and I want to start off just by sharing a little bit of my own journey and why I dove more into this. And it started about eight years ago. I was already a worship pastor at my last church. And, I be and one Sunday I wasn't leading worship. And I walked into uh, the service a little bit later. Uh, it was kind of during the first or second song because I was busy in the lobby and I walked into the back corner and the sanctuary was a little bit bigger. So when you were in the back, you were like really in the back. And, uh, and I walked in and, and I began to uh, uh, start to sing the song and I realized I'm the only one singing in my section. So I was like, all right, here, here we go with that. And uh, it always makes you a little bit insecure when you're like the only one singing in the section. And, uh, but as I continued to, uh, uh, to sing, I, I, was trying to, I was trying to focus myself and get engaged, and, uh, and I was trying to just sort of like figure out what I, what I was supposed to be doing here, because I was uh, kind of distracted. And, uh, and as I continued sing singing, I could feel myself trying to muster up those great feelings of worship. And I tried really hard to focus on what to do in that moment. And in the middle of that, I just remembered the Holy Spirit uh, said to me, Zach, what are you trying to muster up? And, uh, and that's, uh, like, what are you trying to do in this moment? And so I realized that as a worship pastor, I couldn't answer that question really well. I knew the basis of it all. I knew that Jesus was worthy and deserving of our worship, and that we want to uh, tell him that. But what was the point of singing in that moment, and why were we doing it all together? What was my spoke focus supposed to be on? Just myself 
and God, or was I supposed to be mindful of the people around me at that moment? Um, what were my emotions supposed to be feeling? Were the songs important, or were they just sort of this tool for me to experience his presence? Were the words important? All of those questions started to kind of go through my mind and as I was trying to figure this out. And it just all hit me. And that began my journey into discovering what the Bible said about worship. Because I started to ask people in my church what, why we sang, what worship was all about. And I got fairly general answers. There wasn't really a a deeper understanding of why we did this and, and how scripture kind of pieces it together. And, uh, and so I was like, I think I need to spend some time diving into this and figure it out for myself so that I can communicate it. And, uh, and I was amazed to find that, like many things, that as I began to dive into scripture and read different resources, that the scripture actually gives us God's picture and design and desire for worship. And there's a way to understand the bigger concept of worship, but then also to break it down. What is, why are we singing this morning? Why does God instruct us to do certain things uh, that we're going to talk about? And so, well, this is some of the things that help me discover uh, why we do what we do and understand kind of that bigger picture, God's desire and design. So the first thing is it's important to establish what the word worship means. That is the wrong way. How did that happen? I don't know. That's fun. Let's just check. It is going the right direction, right? Okay. Wow, okay. Well, Phil has some magic touch apparently with this thing. He just waves his hand over it and it just does what he wants to do. Um, So... uh, Last time we talked about how worship is a word uh, that describes giving worth to something through your actions, your devotion, your commitment, and your love. And as Christians, we are called and our worship is meant to be directed at God, giving him the greatest worth in our lives, which leads us uh, to give him our devotion, our love, our obedience, and our surrender. Now, just a not just a few songs on a Sunday like we just sang, and we're going to talk about the meaning of that, but worship in itself, that word, what it's trying to tell us is something much more than just a few songs uh, on a Sunday morning. We see this demonstrated by going back to the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible. And so what we're going to do here is something called the law of first use. And uh, you don't need to remember that later, uh, but I'm just telling you what we're doing. It's a, it's a principle of understanding scripture and teaching it, and it's called the law of first use. And what you do is you go back to the first time a word or a concept was introduced in the Bible, and you look at God's intention. Why did he use that as the first time to teach us or introduce us to that word or that concept? And it's called the law of first use. We have, and so to do that, it's, uh, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 22, and it's actually used in an unexpected place where God tests Abraham by instructing him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And despite the seemingly unthinkable nature of this act, Abraham labels it worship. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
and a little bit, if you're uh, a little bit of a uh, grammar and theological junkie, uh, there's this uh, there's this thought, the way that all these commas are in here, that that was actually a bit more of a conversation between God and Abraham, that take now your son, he would say, which son? Your only son. Well, I have more than one son. Whom you love? Well, I love both my sons. Isaac and go to land. And there's a bit more of a, could be a bit more of a conversation here. And he says, so offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac and his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God has told God had told him. On the third day, which again, we see God's grand story, his intention here, because we know later a third day would be very important to our Christian faith, right? On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. That's the first time the word worship is used in scripture. God asks Abraham to offer this miracle child, Isaac, as a burnt offering, and Abraham called that act worship. God chose that to be the cornerstone for understanding what worship is. In this moment, Abraham, who is probably perplexed at why he has to do this, has to choose what is of greatest worth and value to him. Even even though he loves his son, he had already come to a place in a in hundred years of living, Abraham was hundred years old, a hundred years of living where obedience to God was of greatest worth to him. Even if it didn't make sense to him at the time, even if he had to let go of something he loved and cherished, he put God first. That's a very powerful and profound uh, thing that Abraham did there, calling it worship and choosing God. Abraham demonstrated for us that worship is choosing God above all else. And I heard it said that this should teach us to worship with loose hands. In worship, we are faced with letting go our earthly treasures to take hold of the greatest treasure. To choose again to worship God only, renewing that commitment to God, and God has asked us to worship Him only, and that is all through scripture. So in worship, we are faced with letting go our earthly treasures to take hold of the greatest treasure. Billy Graham put it this way, when we come to Christ, we're no longer the most important person in the world to us. Christ is. Instead of living only for ourselves, we have a higher goal to live for Jesus. I think that was very well put. But this happens within the act of worship, with the act of choosing. And then Corrie ten Boom, who wrote The, uh, the Hiding Place, and we actually had that production, uh, a production on that book last year here at this church. Uh, she lived through World War II with her sister, ended up surviving. And, uh, and she wrote this, I have learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. And she experienced much loss and grief in her life. So I don't know if you know the rest of the story with Abraham and Isaac, uh, but God would provide a ram in the bushes to use for the burnt offering instead of his son. 
which would foreshadow that one day God would send his son, Jesus, to die in our place, which is the cornerstone of our worship today. In the Old Testament, they would bring an offering of worship through different burnt offerings and sacrifices. In the New Testament, however, for us today, the concept of sacrifice undergoes a transformation. Now, with the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, burnt offerings are no longer needed as Jesus was the perfect and final sacrifice for our sin, which we find in Hebrews 10.10. Sacrificial worship is now focused on prayer, praise, and a life dedicated to God. Well, what does that look like for us? And that's what I was diving into a little bit more in Scripture too, of how does this look practically God for us? How can we live our life of worship for you? Well, in Romans 12, it says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. The broader context of Romans 12 there uh, emphasizes a transformed and renewed life. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices involves presenting our entire selves, our thoughts, actions, and decisions to God. It goes beyond physical actions to encompass the entirety of our existence. This includes living in accordance with God's will, demonstrating love, humility, and service to others. So this is a life lived in relationship with God and a life lived for God, which is our spiritual act of worship. Scripture also talks about giving God a sacrifice or offering a praise. So while we are living a life for God, we are also supposed to offer sacrifices of praise. All right, are you still with me? So we are worship the, the bigger concept here God is trying to teach us that it's a life surrendered to God in whatever, whatever our lives look like, in, at home, family, school, whatever it is, our life is meant to be dedicated to God and we're supposed to live in relationship with God within that. But then scripture also says in the midst of that, we are supposed to offer sacrifices of praise. So what are these sacrifices of praise? Hebrews 13 begins to teach us here. Through Jesus... Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so again, we, we see this call to worship. So first, he's in, they're introducing this sacrifice of praise. And then, but second, it's combined with a life lived for God. And so there's these two things. So let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So what are sacrifices of praise and why are they so important? So let's use the law of first use again and see if we can learn something. So the first time uh, the word praise is used in scripture is also found in the book of Genesis. Genesis 29, 35, after the birth of Leah's son Judah, she expresses gratitude to the Lord, and the name Judah is related to the word, Hebrew word of praise. She conceived again, and, I will, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. The name Judah, oh, I have a slide for this, there we go. 
The name Judah is derived from the Hebrew word Yehuda, which when I saw this word, I was like, we need to start using this word in church because it just has a little bit more like oof to it. You know, like when in worship, Yehuda, you know? So it's like, you know, you get like praise. But then I just imagine myself, where's Vic? Is Vic here? Vic, I just, you guys all know Vic. He sings up here. He's one of our elders. I just imagine Vic in the, in the middle of worship going, Yehuda! And, uh, and uh, for some reason, I just kept imagining Vic doing that. So we'll have to, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do that. That's right, yeah. So, uh, so Yehuda means praise or thanksgiving. So if you want to add a word to your worship vocabulary, vocabulary, there you go. So this theme that praise is one of thanksgiving, a thank offering to God in response to what he has done, what he is doing, and who he is, is continued all through scripture. So we see a couple times in Psalms here. Psalm 107 says, Give praise to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed, that's us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Then Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The word praise is used another around 260 times in Scripture. Scripture talks of a few different ways that we can offer praise to God singing, shouting, speaking, clapping, or different postures, uh, like kneeling or lifting up your hands, and even dancing. Yes. Uh, And those are all things we actually took a chunk of time a year ago to talk about those things. But they're all in Scripture, and they are all pleasing to God. And within that, last time we talked about, as we offer these sacrifices, that worship is our offering to God, not his offering to us. It's all about him, not us. It's not a consumer activity that we engage in these things. We are bringing something to God. You, each and every one of you, individual, you yourself, have something to bring to God, something that God desires for you to bring. Somebody else beside you can't bring your worship. Only you can bring your worship to God. And that's really important um, to remember that you have something to bring to God and God desires you to bring that to him. It's a sacrificial thank offering and he asks us to do it with our whole heart and with reverence and awe for who he is. We talked a little bit more about that last time too. Not going to get tons in there, but uh, this verse in Hebrews teaches us a little bit about this. So therefore, since we are receiving, so here we get to this in response to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We've got our future hope, something to anchor us. Let us then be thankful and so worship God. So now we're bringing a sacrifice of praise because uh, in response to something we are receiving, our future hope, we're bringing a sacrifice of praise and let's do it acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Because of who he is, we bring it with reverence and awe. So you see how this verse actually gives us a little bit of the structure that we're talking about. Since we are receiving in response to our future hope, we bring a sacrifice of praise because of who he is, and we do it with reverence and awe. So first we praise and worship God because of who he is, and then God knew that he created us as worshipers, and so when we choose to bring an offering of worship to him with our whole heart, with reverence and awe, we unlock some incredible benefits that help us live a life dedicated to God. 
it's all part of our master's design that we would have these deep strengthening moments in worship, in sacrifices of praise that would help us live a life for him. And why? Because praise recenters us on what is of greatest worth to us, what is, this, what is of greatest value to us. We so easily lose track of that. And so God knew, even in your best attempt to live a life dedicated to him, that you were going to need these moments that were going to recenter you on what was of greatest worth, because we, would, we like to put ourselves in that on the throne, and we get distracted. And it's so easy, and God knew that. So he said, even, in, even as you live a life dedicated for me, here is a tool for you, and it's called the sacrifice of praise. So it's part of our master's design. Through praise, we come into an experience, his holy and awesome presence, because Jesus made a way for us to do that. And when we are in his presence, it reminds our soul of the hope, peace, joy, freedom, and future we have with the Lord. We remind our souls that he is in control and nothing can thwart his plans. He is in control and nothing will ever change that. Does this remind you of something we just did? At the end of worship, I led you in actually practicing that, that in experiencing his presence, we remind our souls of who he is. We let that come in, that reality, and it recenters us on what is most important. And as we do that, it actually gives us the strength and resolve and the perseverance, the joy, the hope, the freedom to keep living this life dedicated for God. And uh, the, that reality, that truth, it, it actually anchors us and it begins to speak into such things like worries, anxieties, doubts, burdens, prayer requests, tough days, hard circumstances, illness, grief, loss, etc. And our soul begins to find rest even in the midst of the hardest days, hardest things. I've read some, some uh, biographies and, and stuff of people who have gone through some really horrible things. And it's amazing that in the midst of all that, you find them worshiping, you find them taking a moment to offer a sacrifice of praise, and it helps them carry on. We all have our own, our own things, and God is giving us a tool to help us live a life dedicated for him. And in that place of rest, we are willing to wait on the Lord. It brings his reality into focus and reshapes our reality. It reshapes our current Circum, like uh, whatever we're going through. So it brings his reality into focus and reshapes our current reality or situation. So instead of letting our reality, our situation, our circumstance dictate how we are navigating through that, we actually pause, we take a step back, we look to Jesus and we let his reality begin to define how we are going to respond in that situation and how we are going to navigate this difficult uh, thing that we are going through. This also helps us from falling away. After we've experienced his presence, getting a taste of the unseen, which helps uh, our faith to know that he is real and alive, it's harder to walk away from that faith, that experience versus just a head knowledge of faith just the head knowledge of Jesus. 
So God knew that we actually needed to experience his presence and it would actually help us not fall away, to persevere, to stay close to him. This is a powerful tool, a powerful weapon the Lord has given us. This world is not our home, and the Lord said that we would face trials of many kinds while on this earth. He knew we needed the spiritual disciplines in our life to keep us focused, anchored, and strengthened uh, for these days. And as we are living our whole life for God, he instructs us to pause and to give him an offering of praise. And as we do that, it in turn strengthens our resolve to live for him. I'm so thankful that God has created uh, this tool for us, this way, and this, this, um, that there are incredible benefits in us choosing to worship him. I can think of many times in my life where I have been strengthened and renewed through times of praise and worship. And moving our family here was worship. It was, it was hard. I know everyone's like, well, you're leaving Manitoba, so was it really worship? Um, but it was hard. Uh, we had to leave all that we had known. We had to leave our church family that we loved, that we were a part of for 13 years. And, uh, and I had lived my whole life in Manitoba. At the time, we were also leaving uh, the rest of our family. We were the only ones uh, to be moving out here at the time. So there were hard aspects of it. And, uh, and I also knew the impact of when a, a pastor leaves a church and is called elsewhere, that there are relational connections and it's also hard for the church to process and to navigate and for them to let go. And I, I knew that that was going to be hard. That's something that we were going to step into. And, uh, and, but through times of pausing, and giving God a sacrifice of praise, uh, he strengthened our resolve to obey and gave us the faith to do it because we did believe that we heard very clearly that God was calling us here. We even had something that felt like he called us exactly to Willow Park and we saw that play out. And so I needed to be reminded of who God was, that he was in control and to have my strength to obey uh, re-strengthened and, and uh, filled up again that courage to obey him because it was hard. So, um, so that is uh, what we're supposed to do in the midst of our life. So we've got the cornerstone, which is a life surrendered to him. That is the foundation of worship, what God is trying to tell us about worship, a life surrendered to him and dedicated to him. And on top of that, the next stone is that during that we bring a sacrifice of praise. In the Old Testament, it was burnt offerings, but for us today, it is a life of prayer, praise, and dedication and commitment to God. That is the next stone. But there's even a stone on top of that where there are different stones, different ways that we can offer sacrifices of praise and different ways we can do that. And so these, this is kind of what God is building and showing us in Scripture. And so have you ever asked yourself why we spend so much time singing together? All the non-singers are like, uh, yeah, every Sunday, Zach. Um, so very quickly before we jump into this, uh, it's important that you know that God has also designed us to need each other. His word calls us to regular weekly expressions of corporate joy and thankfulness before God in worship. Not just isolated Christian individuals scattered around living their own lives, but corporate gatherings of prayer and singing to God, hearing God's word and celebrating Jesus together. God only has a plan A to reach the world, and it's through his church. God doesn't need a plan B 
because he doesn't mess up. He made one plan A, and it was his church. And so what we do together as a church, what we engage in, how we help each other, how we interact with the community, what we do when we're together is incredibly important to God because it's his plan to reach the world, and it's his plan also to strengthen our resolve to live a life dedicated for him. So the church is incredibly important, and that's why we are called to gather. And even in places where the church has been persecuted and they're not allowed to gather, they still find ways to meet together because they need each other to continue to move on and be strengthened one another. So that's an important uh, understanding for us as we jump into this. And one thing that we do a lot of as a church is singing. And, uh, and it's not just us, it's a global church movement. So if you ever wondered, why does Zach make us sing so much? Okay, other churches are doing it too, okay? Um, and, uh, and it looks different in every, almost every single church. Every region of the world, sung worship looks different. So there, if you ever think you know the right way to worship God in a church, then just go, and you can use YouTube now, and look up worship in different countries, because you will be like, whoa, what is that happening on that stage? And uh, because every culture has found their way to offer God a sacrifice of praise through different ways and through singing, and it looks different in the different cultures. Um, So do you know that on, on average, Willow Park Church, we will spend 22 hours singing together in a year? Uh, and that's just Sunday mornings, not to mention that uh, other events throughout the year. So it's not a bad thing for us to know why we do it so much, right? Would you agree? Okay, that's good. Because uh, that's what I'm going to talk about now, so hopefully. Um, so singing has continued to be a central part of the church and Christians gathering over the centuries. It is always, it's in scripture and it's continued in the gathered church over the centuries. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. And as we just covered, it's not the only way to praise God, but it is something God designed for us to do, and that's what I want us to to see here. So again, let's use the law of first use and, uh, and see where we encounter sung worship. So the first time we encounter sung worship, sung praise and worship and an offering in the Bible is after the crossing of the Red Sea. After the Israelites crossed the Red Sea safely and God delivered them from the Egyptian army, it says, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted because of who he is, is always the foundation. Worship is our offering to God, not his offering to us. Does it, it doesn't necessarily matter what we're getting. That's the, the amazing thing about God. He's got these benefits for us, but just because of who he is, he's worthy of worship. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea, so because of what he has done. The Lord is my strength and my defense, so he's strengthening their resolve, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. And then we get the commitment. So this is the first time that we see sung worship in scripture. And uh, singing was used as a corporate expression of gratitude and thankfulness for their deliverance. And you know what? For us today, every single day is a Red Sea crossing deliverance day for us because Jesus has delivered all of us on the cross. 
and that was our Red Sea moment. Jesus has delivered us, and so every single day, we have a Red Sea worship opportunity. And we're commanded twice in the New Testament to sing. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, in Ephesians, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. An important aspect of those verses is the phrase addressing and admonishing one another. You can't do that alone. We need each other. When you, sing at the chur- when you sing at church, you're not just singing for yourself. You're singing for all of those around you. You are singing your testimony, and those around you are being built up and strengthened in the Lord as they hear you making your commitments to God because of who he is and what he has done. Then uh, you know you are not alone in this, not only experiencing his presence, but also experiencing the presence and commitment of your brothers and sisters, you are strengthened to keep going because you're not alone. So other than reading scripture aloud together, musical singing is the one practice uh, that we all do collectively during a service. It brings strong unity to the church, and God designed it that way. Music is a powerful weapon. Whether it's Christian music or not, God has designed music and storytelling to reach deep parts of our brain and our soul. And that's why uh, you can see like the, the toughest guy who like never cries and maybe it's a song or at the end of a movie you turn and your dad is just crying and you've never seen him be emotional before. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden this story has just moved him. And that's because these stories and music reach a part of our brain that engage those emotions. So it's been proven that music bypasses our fears, cognitive beliefs, defensive walls, and emotional defenses. So when we start using music for worship and praise, we start singing the word of God, the truth, and experiencing his presence, and that begins to shape who we are, allowing us to grow closer to God. This is so important and another incredible design by our maker. And we don't need to look very far to see that truth is on the chopping block in our world today. And God has given us a way, a tool, to implant that truth into our souls and have it carry with us. Music combined with singing is one of the only ways that, that our left hemisphere, which is our, in the brain, which is our uh, analysis and order side, and the right hemisphere, which is emotional, soul, creative side, actually work together and speak to one another. So when we engage in musical, sung worship, it is quite literally renewing our minds, which is, again, what we're called to do in Romans 12. So God is giving us the tools to do what he's calling us to do. We're digging deep roots in the word, the only truth that will last and carry us to the end. And that's why the songs we sing are so important. We want to sing songs that teach us the truth and help us carry with us, because you remember those songs. Think about the songs of your childhood. You can remember those lyrics, but not, you know, what you did yesterday. We sing because God is worthy of our praise, worthy of our song, because we want to express our thanks to him, because we want to recommit ourselves to him. And as we do that, we meet God in his holy presence, and he pours himself back into us, reminding us of who he is, what he has done, and that he is in control at all times, instructing us of what is important in life 
and how we should respond in different situations and fueling us to keep going, to persevere, to have faith, to trust, and to live a life dedicated to him. God himself is helping fulfill the call to live a life of worship, a life poured out as an offering to him. And when we make the choice to worship him, choosing above all else, he meets us in that place. I'm going to call the, the worship team up as we, as we close. So we are called to live a life dedicated to God as an act of worship, wholehearted, surrender, loose hands worship, just like Abraham in that moment with his son Isaac. And this is in your family, your workplace, in school if you're a student, wherever you are. Along the way, that's the first block, first cornerstone. The second stone was a sacrifice or offering of praise. We're, we're instructed to, to pause, just like the Israelites after crossing the Red Sea, instead of just going off to what God had called them to do into the promised land, the, the next step, what they did is they paused and they said, let us bring a sacrifice and an offering of praise. And as it did that, as we can see in scripture, it actually strengthened their resolve to keep the journey going because their journey wasn't an easy one. And so they had, they had some years ahead of them before they would get to the promised land. And so, so it was strengthening their resolve so that we can see that example. We need to do this personally, but we are also instructed to do it together as a church, corporately. And that is why we gather and why we spend time singing and praying together when we gather. It's also why we open up the word of God to understand more fully who he is and learn the way in which he's called us to live. Praise isn't merely a nice way to start a service or a filler until we get to the message. Worship and teaching are not an end to themselves. They are a means to an end. We are actually engaging in something called spiritual warfare when we step in and engage together as a church. Defeating the enemy and his lies, strengthening and building up the church to live out lives of worship, to go and be a light in this dark world and to fulfill the great commission, what God has called us to. But beyond what it accomplishes, God has asked us to do it. You guys can start playing if you want. Beyond what it accomplishes, God has asked us to do it. And if God has asked us to do it, to worship him above all else, then we should do it. We should surrender our lives to him as an act of worship, to sing and to pray to him as a sacrifice of praise. Because our God is intentional and he has purpose in it all. And he's designed it this way. So we need to step in and realize that God wants it all, God deserves it all, and God is worthy of it all. And as we've uncovered today, hidden within worship, hidden within living a life dedicated to him, but also stopping and pausing to give him a sacrifice and offering a praise, even if it is hard, even if it costs us something, Hidden within that worship are the incredible blessings and benefits that he pours out on all of us. That's why we take time as a church to sing and offer a sacrifice 
of praise. So thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Holy Spirit, because he deserves it all, and because of who he is, we will worship him, and we will also follow his instructions and give him an offering, a sacrifice of praise. Continually with our lips, we will praise the Lord. Whether you're here with us on a Sunday morning or whether you're in your life, living your life and you need to pull over the vehicle, whether you're at work and you need to go find a, a quiet place, whether you're a, you're a mom and you've got a bunch of kids running around and it's really hard and you need to just find a little moment to pause and to give an offering, a sacrifice, a praise. Recenter yourself on what is of greatest worth to you, even in the hardest times. And God promises to carry you. Would you stand with us? I want us for a, ma uh, for a moment just to, uh, to imagine that we are uh, at Mount Moriah. And with this last song, let's worship with, with loose hands as we recenter ourselves on what is of greatest worth, what's the greatest treasure to us reminding ourselves that he's the one worthy of it all, not us. And that is his promise to us. And so let, him, let us bring him a sacrifice of praise together. You are worthy of it all.